NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Wow, beautiful people. So many reasons to celebrate. 2024, another year to be reflective, to find forgiveness in ourselves. Many of us have stories and some of them dig deep into our understanding of the world and how it functions. But it's 2024. And for many of us who continue to live the Generation X lifestyle, we're still partying like it's 1999. Ah, perhaps that was an innocent way of being. 2025, three just flew by. I mean, not get ahead of myself. <laughs> and I have a wish this is going to be an extra special year. The National Writing Project is 50 years old. How awesome is that? Teacher leaders and instructional apps for 10 years. Not, not for 10 years, for five sets of 10 years. <laughs> a beautiful network led by recently named executive director and all that we do, co-host of The Right Time, Tanya Baker. Ah, this is an Absolute reason to find joy across the network. Yet we also know teachers, young people, school systems, human beings. There's just so much work that still needs to be done to make our world a better place. It's this reason that we created The Right Time and to celebrate phenomenal writers publishing brilliant books for children and young adults. Tanya, how are, how are you? How's 2024 going for you? Well, Brian, I'm great. As always, I'm so excited to be a part of this huge network of amazing educators. And my New Year's resolution is to make our 50th anniversary year a year-long joyous celebration. So I guess that really is continuing to party like it's 1999. I don't know. <laughs> but more importantly today, I'm we're both super excited to bring forward another Nancy Paulson book from Penguin. Tonight, we welcome the author of Forgive Me Not, a book Renee Watson calls riveting, heartbreaking, and ultimately redemptive. Welcome, Jennifer Baker, to The Right Time, and also to you, Laura Donovan, our teacher interview for viewer for tonight's show. And what a great way to kick off 50 years of the writing project, but with the first episode of The Right Time in 2024. Jennifer Baker is a publishing professional of 20 years, the creator host of the Minorities in Publishing podcast, and a faculty member of the MFA program in creative nonfiction at Bay Path University. She's also a writing consultant at Baruch College. Formerly a contributing editor to Electric Literature, she received a 2017 NYSCA NYFA Fellowship and a Queen's Council on the Arts New Work Grant for Nonfiction Literature. Her essay, what We Aren't or The Ongoing Divide was listed as a notable essay in the best American essays 2018. Woo -woo. In 2019, she was named Publisher Weekly's uh, superstar for her contribution to inclusion and representation in publishing. Jennifer is also the editor of the 2018 POC short story anthology, Everyday People, The Color of Life, and the author of the YA novel, Forgive Me Not, Nancy Paulson Books 2023. She has volunteered with organizations such as We Need Diverse Books and I2 Arts Collective and spoken widely on topics of inclusion, the craft of writing, editing, podcasting, and the inner workings of the publishing industry. Her fiction, nonfiction, and criticism has appeared in various print and online publications. Her website is her name, jenniferbaker.com. We're super excited to have her to the show. Thank you. 
And Lauren Donovan is a teacher in Kansas City, Missouri, and has taught secondary English in both the middle and high school settings for nine years. She's also a student at the University of Canvas, Kansas, not Canvas, in an educational leadership doctorate program. She loves sharing her passion for reading and writing with her student, and she loves to read and talk about realistic fiction as well as education reform nonfiction. Welcome to the program, Lauren. Lauren, we're going to start by you introducing a writing prompt. Listeners could pause and write to your prompt if they're so moved. And after that, Brian and I will leave so that you and Jen can have a great conversation about her book. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so our writing prompt today is, do you think it is fair for someone to decide someone else's future? Explain why or why not using specific reasoning to justify your response. Ah, that's a good one. I already have a thought about what I'm writing about. Have a great also interview. very we'll intriguing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Yeah. See? All right. Hi. I'm so excited. Um, so I got to read your book with some seventh graders, um, a small group of seventh graders. So it led to a lot of really great discussions. So okay. some of these questions are um, kind of designed with that in mind, knowing that I teach a younger group of students. Um, so that's where I started with the questions. So thank you for letting me ask you these questions, first of all. Um, love the book. And my students send you praises as well. So we're very grateful. Um, so I think my first question would be, um, when you are writing young adult literature, how do you determine the age level that it is suitable for before you put it out there into the world? Oh, that's a great question. And thank you so much for taking the time to read and share this book. It, it really means a lot to me. So I can't thank you enough and everybody at NWP. Um, I think for me, I, I really looked at, this book in particular was the space in which something can drive some other kind of behavior. And so looking at Violetta at the age of 15, I felt as though there was a lot of books that start, especially in the YA space at the 16, 17 year old mark. And I get it, like looking at the sophomore, the junior, maybe even the senior, but I really wanted to look at the person entering high school. Cause I remember that very viscerally personally. And I remember that fear of entering a new space. I am an only child, so I differ in Vi from Violetta in many ways, but I have a lot of similarities with them. And, and I really thought about those kind of age differences between her and Vince, like Vince coming in with more experience of how to kind of play the game and be play a role, where Violetta was coming into the space a bit more differently behind him. And that seemed really crucial, was not only looking at kind of the gender dynamics, but understanding that kind of entry point of high school, which it feels like everything, right? When you're you're kind of moving from elementary to junior high to high school, at least it was that, that way for me, was I just remember every time I was getting older, it was like, oh my God, this is the next mountain. And this is gonna be like, this is gonna matter so much. <laughs> and I'm in my forties now and you're reflecting and it's not that it didn't matter, but at that time, it feels like the most essential and crucial aspect of your life that will ever happen. And so I saw that very much for Violetta and 15 felt the right age and being a freshman felt the right moment. Awesome. So when you think about who's suitable for reading it, like I read it with seventh graders um, and had to grapple with some of those issues and talk about those. Um, do you think that's appropriate, even though the character is a little bit older? Yeah, I tended to read up. 
So mm -hmm. I was very careful in my writing because I was very conscious about who I was writing for and making sure that the agency was with the teens and to not kind of project this kind of older adult space, but also have that awareness. And so really make sure that that agency was there. And at that time I read older, my, the women in my family are very much bibliophiles. And so they were like, yeah, read whatever you want. And, mm -hmm. and so I was like, all right, I'm just gonna read whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> like I was reading Anne Rice, Stephen King. What like what's around the house? I'm gonna read it. Yeah, that's what's around the house. Cool. Toni Morrison, you know, all this stuff. And and perhaps I didn't totally get it at the ages I was reading it in, from like especially junior high onward. But I, I had that freedom to really engage with art in a way with no limitations. And that can come from various reasons, but there was just a trust in me. And so a trust in the reader, but also wanting to really respect the reader as well as respect the educators sharing it, the librarians sharing it and not trying to make it very violent for the sake of gore, which I think can happen, especially when you're not thinking about uh, younger readers and what you may be introducing them to. But I also don't wanna talk down to them. So that's a keen balance and a question I asked with every chapter. I think that's awesome. I had a lot of exposure to literature too at a young age, but so many students, my students included, sometimes the only exposure they're getting is at school. And so mm -hmm. um, it's super powerful when a teacher can feel passionate about a text and share that with them. And we got to do that. Um, so kind of along the same lines, and you can answer this from a writer perspective or from a reader perspective. Um, do you think that trigger warnings are important to give teachers or young readers before reading your book? Um, just because we know there's a lot of sensitive and very important um, critical issues that you tackle. And these issues are tackling, or excuse me, these um, issues are real and they're things that students are dealing with every single day. Yeah, I, I think those are really crucial. And I actually kind of regretted that I didn't do it because also I, I come from also a publishing background and I didn't see them as much in books, especially for young readers. I saw, I think I picked up a book after this book went to the printer and the person put on kind of the dedication page or after the dedication page, trigger warnings. And I was like, oh, nut bunnies, I should have done it that oh my god the baby <laughs> um and also really being glad that in the educator guides or whatever whatever was really also being created as a supplement to support educators and, and 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 folks who are introducing the book or sharing the book or guiding discussions in the book with people that they listed kind of what was going to happen um because again i i didn't want it to be violent and and i think maybe because i'm a little bit deadened to certain things. Um, I thought about it a lot, but I, I probably didn't think about it as much in terms of like providing that warning. So that is a regret that I didn't say a little bit more, like there's references to um, self-harm, that there's references to this um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, because so, I want to be careful, especially like you said, you're, you're sharing it with seventh graders and and I'm having like my friends who are parents are having conversations and they're like, is this good for my age? And they're like, so let me just tell you, there's this, this, and this. And they're like, okay, I'm gonna wait two years. And I was like, oh yeah, thank you for having that conversation. So I don't know if you kind of presented that or tend to in the classroom of which I think it's greatly appreciated for, for folks like us, us writers. 
Yeah. I mean, even just talking to kids about it, I think is important. Um, you know, not necessarily having to read it out loud, but just letting them know like, Hey, these things are going to come up. If you have questions about it, let me know. And I think that, um, creates a comfortable space too, but I think that helps, um, younger teachers too, or newer teachers in the field. So, but yeah, yeah, they handled it really well. If anything, they had questions and more ideas that were inspired from it. Wonderful. So thinking about some of the characters, um, I don't want to give away too much of the story if people haven't read it, um, but we know that Vince isn't emotionally and mentally well after his younger sister's death and then after his sister, uh, Violetta, gets assigned the trials. Um, This is kind of a bigger question, so you can approach it how you want, but what are your thoughts about our nation's systems in place to support youth and their mental health, um, especially those that um, deal with either ongoing trauma or something that is happened i have a lot of thoughts (laughs) (laughs) do we have time can we do a patreon only (laughs) (laughs) no i agree i was just powerful through the text so i'm just like i'm sure that was part of the inspiration (laughs) of the story too so yeah, I mean, I'm from New York City specifically. I've lived in Queens most of my life, Queens County. Um, for people who may not be aware, of, that's part of the outer boroughs. So we have the five boroughs, and I'm in the outer boroughs of which the book takes place. And where I where the book is is made up Queens because I didn't really want people to fact check me if I'm being completely. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's not where that bus goes, and I'm like, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> um. But we have about two very well-known juvenile detention centers in New York City. One is in the Bronx and one is in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And they're not very well-funded. Our mayor has also cut, significantly cut funding for a lot of things um, outside of like police, policing, Um, but like the arts, you know, sanitation, a lot of stuff that is needed, education, we don't have as many shelters, we don't have as much housing. And so when those cuts matter, because also it affects how the privatization of criminal justice, which is a big money industry, which I didn't realize until I learned more about it, of how much money people can make from this industry. Uh, And that's kind of touched on in the book, um, but I didn't want to be you know, heavy handed with anything or didactic in a way that would take kids out of the story because it is about the teenagers. And, and so those are the elements where I'm just like, it it doesn't take care of people because the conversation I have a lot, especially with people who are more in organizing spaces is that we do have individual power and collective power as people to just voice our concerns and say what we what we need. But oftentimes the people making these decisions in council meetings and board meetings, um, in, in offices wherever across the nation are not necessarily thinking about the betterment of society. It's about making budgets, it's about being reelected and, and being in you know, company with people who will make sure they'll be elected. It is thinking you're doing the right thing, but not really talking to the constituents who it affects or not knowing the constituents or carrying that stigma of you think if someone has committed a crime, Therefore, they are a bad person, and these are the consequences. And I think accountability is really important, but what does accountability look like? And I, and I think that's a question that's not very clear cut when it comes to criminal justice and juvenile detention, because you are dealing with teens, and in some cases, children, right? depending on the age group. So that's a, you know, it's, I, 
the, the short answer is no. <laughs> right. uh, the longer answer is like, if you really dig deeper into what things look like and how they're operated and the biases that come into play, it, it's really hard to even say that, oh yeah, this is these systems work in favor of supporting people and getting them what they need when that may not even be part of the question. It may be like you did this and you need to have consequences for doing something, but not realizing that maybe someone stole because they have no, nothing. They right. literally have nothing. And that is a much bigger issue of which does not even come to play in a courtroom necessarily. Yeah, it's not even a factor because we're not giving people a chance to speak and explain themselves. So, and that's one mm -hmm. thing I really like about this book is that we do get into the mind of Violetta and her brother. Um, and she gets to share kind of that, you know, regret and fear and all of those feelings while she's awaiting, you know, kind of her fate that is given to her by others. Right. So I like that part of that. Um, and so like kind of along that line, um, thinking about Violetta and that she um, has some friends that she refers back to, they seem to be a lot more forgiving at first than her family. Um, and at one point, I remember this line in the text, it was so powerful. Um, Violetta ponders if forgiving is eventually just forgetting. Um, so do you think Violetta really expects her family to fully forgive her? I don't know. I think that's the biggest fear, right? Because there's no conversation that really happens um, in the, especially in the beginning. It is these choices must be made in line with the way the system works. Uh, and for Violetta, I mean, sometimes it's not even about having the vocabulary. And I'm sure, you know, especially as an educator and as a person, you know, I've met people who are older than me who, who do not have the vocabulary to be able to say how they feel even if it is, I'm pissed at you about something you did 10 years ago, and it's going to come out in this really random way, you know, it'll be like, oh, sorry, I was late, you know, what? you don't care about anybody. And it's like, really, you're still holding on to some stuff I did years ago. But now it's coming out in a way because I was maybe seeming flippant about something. And so that's kind of how I saw it, like the adult decisions, going back to what I had said earlier, is the decisions of folks affecting these these other communities, but not really coming into play. And so I don't think her family even has the understanding or has the time to, between the accident and her shuffling her to, you know, a juvenile detention center to really consider what is forgiveness and what do we do and what is our daughter going through? And not, and they're considering it along the way more so than they did when it could have preempted all these things that could have happened. So I don't even know. I think for me, for, forgiveness is acknowledging and changing from there. If it really is like, we're going to pretend nothing happened, if you're just going to repeat the behavior, I can't really forgive an individual in that way. Because I'm like, you haven't changed. Um, but I think it's not so much forgetting, it's moving forward, in which case you don't isolate that person in a box because of that one aspect of their personality or one aspect of them that may have hurt you that maybe you've moved on from. And like you said, the process is so quick for her and her family is dealing with their own grief, right? So not only are they wanting to support Violetta, but they've lost a child. And so um, right. I think that's 
definitely something that was brought up when I was reading it too with kids. Like, hey, we the family is feeling this sort of way. We can't judge how they're feeling or what they're doing because they've got so much going on um, as well that they're unpacking. We don't get their perspective necessarily other than the brother. I think that's important. Um, so heavy questions. So I'm sorry, but I know this book is just full of, um, heavy book <laughs> and written so well. Um, what advice do you have for readers of the book who are dealing with any of their own, um, you know, unresolved issues? Um, and what about readers who have friends that are stuck in those similar, similar situations or they hear about things, um, like what advice would you give younger you maybe or younger someone that you can think of or even Violetta if you weren't the author of the text? I think it would be to give yourself a little grace, but also give yourself time to reflect and really figure out what's going on. I think that's been super helpful for me. And I, I say this kind of ad nauseum that I've been in therapy for 10 or so years and it allowed me to not react. I mean, let's rewind a bit. I still react. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest but it allowed me to think a bit about why I might be like just you know like what is going on <laughs> and sometimes it is that case of you know you write that angry email but you don't send it and you sit mm -hmm. with it or as someone calls you in a fit of rage and you're like I'm not going to answer that phone because I'm not there yet or not responding to somebody and asking for space to, to be able to understand that. And I think that's, you know, when you're in a carceral state, literally, all you have is time, right? right Like the purpose of this, among many other issues, is that it's for you to reflect and, and you know, kind of quote unquote, get it together in the, in the time you have by keeping you isolated, by, by keeping you in a space where it is dictated how you operate and act. And, and to be reminded constantly of what you did because of what you were looking at and what you do not have access to. Uh, so that is the point. And I think reflection is okay. I just don't necessarily believe it needs to happen behind bars for every single person, if at all. Um, but I do think people should have time to reflect and, and really engage in like, so what's bother? What do you think's bothering you? I don't know. Um, again, we go back to not having the vocabulary. And so I think, you know, for friends, especially of that age group, if you can just really kind of listen and be there for each other and, and, and it's okay if someone can't speak uh, or doesn't know what to say at that moment, but just be present in that will, will maybe consider and maybe not want to get into a fight, maybe not want to yell, even though those are very healthy emotions in the heat of the moment, but to sit and, and kind of ponder if you can, um, I recognize it's that in some ways might be a luxury for some people and not so much others. And that's such a life skill, right? Being a good listener, not always thinking about what you're going to say or what advice you have to offer, but just mm -hmm. lending an ear. Like that's a lot about education too, yep. right? Is you are observing, responding, you know, pivoting as, as much as I don't love that term as it's been used <laughs> in certain spaces. It is like you are responding and understanding and listening to, to what, because that's what folks really need. And sometimes it's just, it's not just attention, it's to be heard. Uh, and so that that's why I have great admiration for educators who do this like all day, every day, because I do it in a college space. And it's very different than working. I've worked with younger people, but I don't work with younger people every day. I work with adults every day. And, and that's its own challenge, you know? Yeah, and we all have emotions, but you're right. The regulation of emotions 
hopefully can get um, a little stronger as you get older, but mm-hmm. um, so the, the family bond in this story, um, it really holds them together. So a little bit more of a positive there. Like we see them holding tight through this all. Um, but other than the support of the family, what positive messages do you want your readers, both young and adult to walk away from, walk away with from this story? You mentioned you already, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's what goes back to the agency and the individual power. Because what I've said a couple of times, especially when I've had the opportunity and will have again soon to talk to teens and younger readers, is that you have power. It just doesn't always look the way we think it looks, right? And sometimes, I mean, most, all the time, I really hope it's autonomy over your body. Um, It's autonomy over your thinking process and your critical thinking skills and all those things. Maybe you don't get to dictate when you have to go to class because you have to go to class if you want to graduate. And you understand like what certain things lead to, but you do have power. You do have power of choice. Uh, And again, it just leads to what those choices mean. And they're not always definitively wrong based on how it's been framed in society. Sometimes it's just like, I just wanted to try that. I just wanted to see what happened. Um, So I think that was the biggest thing, like for Violetta in an attempt not to spoil anything, I I needed to get her there. I needed to get her there where she made a choice regardless of what other people were deciding for her. She needed to be like, this is where, and I struggled with that as a writer too. Like there was just this period where I, I always talk about the arc, you know, like the rising action falling on a whoop doo you know, yeah. a little mountain. Yeah, we talk about that. <laughs> oh yeah, a little mountain. <laughs> and then there was this like curvature <laughs> in the mountain where I was getting her and then it was like she would have fallen off the mountain. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to get her to that place where she made a specific decision for herself. Um, but then I found it and it was the letters, ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. My editor had said, oh, well, you know, they were being super nice. And they're like, well, maybe you can do something else. And I'm like, but what? <laughs> Tell me what to do. Uh, they didn't, they don't do that apparently, but I figured it out. And it was the letters and the loud, letters allowed her to get closer to her sister and make some certain decisions for herself because she allowed herself to wrestle with memory and, you know, all that good stuff. So we came back in, but we're, we welcome any more questions from Lauren if she has any. <laughs> and if not, I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can talk all day, but if you have a question, you I would love to hear your question as well. Um, I just want to add, though, those letters I you're making me think about it, like, so important. I think that's the only time we really got to hear about, like, what Pascal was thinking, even though he's not a likable character. We kind of heard his thoughts oh, when he read yeah. the letter. And at oh. that point, I was kind of like, hmm, maybe he does have somewhat of a heart. Mm. So, uh, maybe. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he does, but he's a, he's no, a young he's man. A young, yeah. He's a guy who gets what he wants. <laughs> so, like, one of the reasons why we love this show and we text back and forth while people are, while the interview is going on is because we get all these great nuggets of wisdom. And I love what you had to say about agency and individuality. Read whatever you want. Engagement with art that has no limitations, which made me think about, man, teaching is an art form, too. And then I thought of the opening prompt that Lauren gave and just kind of like looking out for each other. But the responsibility of working with 30, 35 kids in a classroom every day and not knowing what impact you have on them 
And then I realized now, because I've been doing this for 30 years, that my students from 1998 are still in contact with me sharing something I said back in the day, <laughs> and then something that they were thinking about, or you never told us about this part of our life. Um, but I, that's my thinking and reflection of the whole interview. Here's the question I'm dying to ask. I love this book, and I think it's spectacular, and it's written so well. And I want to know a little bit of like, how did this story come to be? There's always a story behind the storytelling and also getting it to the publishing published world, but it really is unique, and it has such voice and such kind of like research on 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 the humanity of all this. So how you know what what was that backstory for writing? Forgive me not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if y'all remember this show called Forgive or Forget. It's a syndicated show because oh. I watch television a lot. <laughs> it's on the YouTube, friends. <laughs> to go and find that just da -da 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 in the, the search engine. And so there was this syndicated show, kind of like Jerry Springer-esque in terms of the mm -hmm. stage and the setup, where if you did something wrong for someone or, Oof. you know, you just hurt someone, like cheated on my wife accidentally sold someone's house from under them, uh, put so-and-so into debt. Like, yeah, some like cagey <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. And so the person would obviously go on to national television in front of a live studio audience and say, hey, I want my wife, spouse, husband, you know, to forgive me, this is what I did. And they said, all right, so behind that door <laughs> may or may not be the person you, you know, jerked around and if the person is behind that door that means they're open to a discussion maybe they'll forgive you but if not a video will come up on the screen and that's kind of how the first scene Ooh. came was and they will tell you why they do not forgive you or why they decided not to fly out to california in front of a live studio audience to talk about their business <laughs> <laughs> and so i just was like well what if this was just how criminal justice work. Worked. I was like, what if this was just how people, like, what if I got to decide something? Like you stole something from me. And I said, and and beneath that are people mm -hmm. better than the law, quote yeah. unquote, right? Like, would we be a lot more empathetic? And the answer was no, as I wrote, it was mm. no. And so the characters came in, it really kind of centered in juvenile detention. Like I, I was thinking about the bigger elements, but I mm -hmm. wanted to concentrate it in juvenile because theoretically the teens would have less power because a lot of this is being dictated. Right. Uh, and the biggest stakes would be if it was your own family. So Violetta and Vincent came very, I hate to say easily, but I knew who they were from the beginning. So who mm -hmm. they were from when I started at this book in 2014 on my couch watching that show, they they never change like mm -hmm. how they identify how they sound never changed it's just mm -hmm. i learned more about criminal justice and and was reading about abolition and other things that and, i had to learn a bit more about it and can i ask do you think your background as a nonfiction writer really impacted the way you approach that research and or incorporated it into the story well, funny enough, I went to school and always did fiction primarily. I just mm. published a lot of nonfiction mm. and I kind of published it from 2017 on, mm -hmm. especially. Um, I don't know. I just hit a stride with writing essays because yeah. uh, yeah. it takes me a very long time. It took me eight years from start to, to the point we mm -hmm. finished this book, eight, eight years um, on and off. 
And so mm -hmm. fiction is not quick for me. It's, right. it's just very methodical. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to say nonfiction isn't, but the essay goes a bit faster for me, depending. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really was like, it was like anything. Any I research for fiction, for what I'm mm -hmm. writing now, for what I've written in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I just, but the characters came. And for me, if the characters and voice come, mm -hmm. I, I got it. It'll mm -hmm. still take me a while, but I got it. But if I'm <laughs> sitting here like, don't know who you are, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. No, that wow. was a good response. And I, I was thinking about like, I don't know why during this winter break, somehow I caught some like datelines or 2020s with some dilemmas. And I would, mm -hmm. I would often think of the family members like, yeah, this is the incident that changed their life forever. Mm -hmm. How do they move on? And it might happen for one episode, one book, but there's so much life that goes on beyond that. And it can change. It can change 20 years from now, 25 years from now, because another event might happen. And that's why I think that this is a great story to work with um, young readers, because they need to start thinking about like, you think life is forever and you don't realize the consequences of your choices. And the, the humor behind the scene too, was Tanya and I were sharing some of our life choices early on in our lives that could have ended up really horrible, but luckily didn't. But those horrible incidences put us in a better direction. So, you know, it's that whole whole thing about bruises, you know, helping you to appreciate the world you have more. So mm -hmm. I thank you for writing this book. And I think we have a closing prompt for those do. who want to stop and write. Yeah. Um, and then just just to encourage young readers, I mean, if you said eight eight years to write a book, like just tell kids, like, keep writing. Like, I tell them that all the time. Like, just keep writing, get it down. I think that's, I'm going to go back and share that uh, with kids tomorrow. Like, it took mm -hmm. eight years to get this book out there. So I think that's awesome. Um, based on the story of Violetta and her family, do you think the current justice system is supportive of our youth? How, in your opinion, should youth receive support from others? Why are support systems important? And then um, if you are a classroom teacher and you're teaching the text, feel free to add thoughts regarding trials if they were something of the future and use reasoning from the text to justify your response. Very nice. Thank you, Lauren. Um, <laughs> Brian's holding up the copy. Excellent. Like, you, those of you who are listening can't tell that I am holding up the book, but it is a beautiful cover. It's, a, it's, an, it's definitely just put it on your to read list. It needs to be a priority. Thank you. <laughs> the the Thank cover you. is gorgeous and it represents the gorgeousness of the text inside. We love this book. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jen, for writing such an amazing book. Thank you, Lauren, for not only reading it, but reading it with your kids and bringing their yeah. perspectives into the questions that you brought to a really great interview. We really, I, I loved this interview. Uh, it, it was just, um, thoughtful and engaging and everybody should be motivated to go buy the book as soon as they listen to this interview. I hope that's true. Oh, thank you both. And thank you all. Thank, thank all three of you. There's three of you. <laughs> uh, finally, I just want to do the thing I always do at the end. I want to thank you listeners for being here. Um, if you, this is your first right time, don't miss another one. You can sign up for the National Writing Project's newsletter. Um, you can find the information to sign up for that at nwp.org. You could join a community of teachers who talk about young adult literature and writing and teaching at this 
right now teacher studio you can find that space at studio.nwp.org um, and you can get this show and others um, from our history in uh, wherever you get your podcasts so thank you uh, and happy new year we're off to a an amazing start to 2024 with this interview. Thank you, everybody. NWP Radio, Thank you. Thank a production you. of the National Writing Project. NWP.